sideways looks like a Christmas tree. It does look like a Christmas tree. Uh, we're we're getting ready for. Uh, as I was talking to one of the other coworkers today, or the other day, and they're like, "I'm so excited!" And they're planning all these decorations. I'm like, "Are you gonna take them down?" Because I'm the only one that took down the last holidays decorations, and I'm gonna be the one taking down the. Uh, fall decorations you're not gonna have to take anything down because i am gonna straight up grinch style come into the building take everything and throw it in the trash they're like as soon as as soon as thanksgiving i said listen we always pull the christmas tree out at our library prior to christmas i hate it i hate every second of it i i do that though because that is the day we are most staffed is the day before thanksgiving there's there's a logic behind my so it feels wrong and that'll be like probably the only decoration i actually get out that day because it's an all-day affair decorations that are planned for our library are (laughs) from this coworker a little intense i'm like i'll just cut out snowflakes as per usual and that's will be my contribution coworker is literally straight up real life time traveler version of buddy the elf like I just like smiling. Smiling's my favorite. Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? Gosh, that's nice. Wow. The best cup of coffee. You did it. And I am like the Grinch, but with like arson tendencies. Like I'm ready to burn this entire holiday to the ground. And it hasn't even begun yet. Can I also mention, since we were just talking about Thanksgiving movies last episode, forgot we're back. And it has the best Thanksgiving parade scene, I would argue, in any like Thanksgiving movie. <laughs> Such a catchy song. It's also spooky, like very heavily spooky for a kid's animated movie. Somewhat of a creature feature. <laughs> Somewhat of a creature feature. Uh, Walter Cronkite, John Goodman. God, I love John Goodman. Yeah. Big Lebowski. <laughs> we also recently, there's a meme going around that someone shared that's just a picture of Mike and Sully from Monsters, Inc. <laughs> and they're like, this is what I imagine every podcast host looks like. And we decided, I decided, <laughs> that I am Sully and Beth is Mike. Yes. I feel like my logic tracks. And that's mostly just because Beth is more prone to like, mm, put that thing back where it came from get me out of here I don't want to deal with this like somebody else's problem call the authorities and I am much more like no no but daddy I love him we have to keep this evil creature that's gonna kill everyone we love (laughs) as evidenced by when I like rescue a snake from the bathroom and Beth is already texting like everyone who needs to know there was a snake in the bathroom and I'm just like I have to put him somewhere the birds won't eat him yes so yeah I just wanted to put that as an aside I was I, I was a little devastated after I thought about it and it took me a good week and a half and I went, dang it. <sighs> yeah. And in, in the time we've been away from each other, so much has happened. I got a haircut. I lost five pounds via stomach flu. I had f- five menti bees. Yes. It's been a, it's been a while since we've been back on this couch. So this bodes well for today. <laughs> So welcome back. I'm just going to keep pressing my nose into the microphone. (sighs) Uh, Welcome back to the Lake Erie Library. I am Beth. And I'm here. No, I'm Britta. (laughs) 
And today uh, we are doing our little book club and we are discussing The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. And uh, we do have a new format for uh, our little book talks, book club. I, I We got to come up with like a fun name for it. We will eventually. Yeah. Yuri book club. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yikes. Can you feel the two weeks we've been away? I can. <laughs> like a rusty door hinge. <laughs> It'll be fine. It'll it's be all right. Fine. This has half a bottle of wine in it. We'll get there. <laughs> um, so anyhow, uh, we will be discussing that book today. So if you have not read this book uh, and you're afraid for some mini spoilers, stop listening now. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> God. I don't even know if that came through, but that's my brewmate wine cup. Sorry. Just going to leave that open. It, so if you haven't read it, like, we apologize for the spoilers. If you have read it and you want to comment or anything like that and talk about it in our social media, let us know. Um, otherwise, we will proceed and start. I... I don't think we really talked about the format. Brittany knows it. We sure didn't, Beth. <laughs> but um, well, before we get into that, I do think we we chose this book namely because we had both read it and then also because Stephen Graham Jones is a Native American author and we were like, hey, it's November. What better time to read this book? Right. Native um, Heritage indigenous month so yeah indigenous month so So in in um the spirit of that also before i start drinking wine because that feels a little disrespectful to do it after um i thought that we should maybe acknowledge uh the people who lived in ohio so i wrote a little land acknowledgement (laughs) for our our podcast So, uh, in recognizing the land upon which we reside, we express our gratitude and appreciation to those who lived and worked here before us, those whose stewardship and resilient spirit make our residence possible on this traditional homeland of the Erie, Lenape, Oneida, Onondaga, Cayuga, Shawnee, Wyandotte, Kickapoo, Miami, Chippewa, Ottawa, Seneca, Tuscarora, and Cherokee peoples. We also acknowledge the thousands of Native Americans who called Northeast Ohio home today. That was nice. I tried. And also, if you wonder why you can't pronounce anything in Ohio, it's because it's the white people bastardization of Native American words and peoples. (laughs) Yes. Yes, very much so. But if you are interested in uh, Native American heritage, like you should definitely check out Ohio is home to... It's considered one of the newer wonders of the world, but we're home to one of the largest uh, burial effigies in for Native American peoples, uh, the Great Serpent Mound. So um, it's definitely something to check out. It's in more southern Ohio, um, but it is free to go to. And they are still not quite sure. Like with these mounds, they still are like learning things about them. They're not quite sure like the purpose of them and stuff like that. They have theories. Um, but we're pretty unique in having, like, it's definitely like a, you can see aerially, it's definitely a, a mound and it's shaped like a serpent with like an egg and it's pretty neat. So if you, (laughs) 
that feels very disrespectful to say but it's like neat is in the word like it's really cool it's that we have that yeah it's in ohio Beth, i feel like so close to a city that had a major league baseball team named the indians that barely dipped your toe into like disrespectful so <laughs> i think you're okay thank god they finally changed it it's the guardians now yes yes so yeah anyways um we will be discussing this book and we will try not to majorly plot spoil anything for you. Um, I think I will do one trigger warning because in this book there is multiple scenes of graphic kind of animal death, including dogs. So if you looked it up on does the dog die? Yes. Yes. There's multiple dog things. And if that's not your jam, I guess don't read this book as it, very much stuff that happens bad things that happen and there's also um just animal death in general and i'm triggering you now i'm letting you know now (laughs) so uh we will probably briefly mention those i know neither of us that's like a big no-no for both of us so yeah um the one is like i plan on discussing it a little bit just because it like there's a specific reason why it bothers me so much but um, yeah, rather than giving you like a beat by beat synopsis like we've been doing, um, this time we were going to focus a little more on just like the elements of the book and the story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the format of the book, the characters, um, what we think worked, what didn't, what particularly scared us or struck us, why we think you should read this book or why it's important. And then I always. I always like to find the little like word nuggets as I call them like pieces of the story or writing that really like hit me because of the way they were written so I have a little section I called word candy we don't have to call it that I just needed something to break up the sections in my notes (laughs) so I forgot I had read this a while ago so I was trying to do a little refresher and I forgot that so much of the plot happens around Thanksgiving yes uh basic plot synopsis would be there are four Blackfeet Indian friends. Uh, I will refer to them as Indians only because that's what I think that's okay. That's what they call themselves Mm -hmm. in the story and that's also the description on the inside of the book jacket. So I'm assuming that Stephen Graham Jones is okay with that nomenclature. Um, So there are four friends and they the story takes place in like kind of two two sections of there's the before where they had a hunting trip about 10 years prior to what is currently happening in the book and they call it the wink wink nod nod the thanksgiving classic and essentially this is a hunting trip that goes not well it goes a little wrong i would argue that it goes very well well (laughs) if you're a hunter yeah sure it goes very well but it goes against kind of their principles and values in turn 10 years later this is a bit of a revenge story so uh there is something picking them off kind of one by one and you meet all of them 10 years later and none of them are really having a good time as kind of going from teenagers um who participated in this uh hunting this hunt for this elk hunt to being adults and kind of going their separate ways. Um, 
So yeah, that that is the main that is the main I would say the gist of the story. Um the spoiler free summary. Very spoiler free summary. Yeah, so it's um I mean, should we talk about where the only good Indians comes from? I yeah, I think we should. Uh that I know that was not his original um title that he chose, but he ended up like landing on that one and was like, I yeah, this is okay. But yeah, we can talk about the quote of where it comes from because it's kind of a messed up quote. I mean, let's be honest. It's America. I feel like most things having to do with the indigenous people here are going to be pretty messed up. Yeah. We have not been kind to them. No. So Stephen Graham Jones, this is not his. This was probably his first big breakout book. Um, He has, he has written lots of short stories. Um, He's written several books since many of his books have Native American characters and main characters in them. So if you are looking for story and they're more, I would call him a modern horror author. Like he doesn't usually write, he writes about kind of the modern plight and like what Native Americans go through today. So um, you're not going to get what I would call stereotypical. If you're a white person, you're not going to get, that like historical you're gonna get this is what we have dealt with as like generationally um and reading kind of reviews from goodreads and other reddit which i was like why am i on here this Mm. is terrible um this turns off a lot of people but i also feel like i think people i don't know i think people are rude i think you have to also uh, Stephen Graham Jones has a very particular way of writing where it feels a little stream of consciousnessy, and it's not, it's not Stephen King. It's not. Uh, he has a very distinctive style of writing. His characters, to me, talk how I would expect like a regular person to talk. I was gonna say in in my notes like later. I that's one of the things I really enjoy about reading his books is that. I relate to that sort of stream of consciousness is a pretty good way to describe it. Um, Like storytelling, it really does feel like how you think in your brain Mm -hmm. as opposed to like a polished, I'm writing a novel, I'm writing literature type prose. Yeah, he's, he's really good with dialogue. He does write the way people speak. And a lot, it's really noticeable in this book when he shows them like talking to each other the friends right because they speak differently to people outside of the reservation than they do when they speak to each other which that is i mean that is a cultural thing right and and i mean you can't read this book or discuss this book without getting into the cultural aspect of it because it is such a huge part of the story but that is i mean i follow a lot of like native and indigenous content creators. Mm-hmm. Um, I while Beth is a science nerd, I am like a anthropology nerd. Um, I'm very interested in cultures and peoples and languages. So uh, I I have noticed that watching and a lot of them will make content. I'm thinking of one girl in particular where she always will contrast like life off the res sounds like this life on the res sounds like this. And she'll tell you like the same thing, but in two very different ways with totally different intonation and word usage and familiarity. So he does a very good job of writing dialogue like that. But now that we've like completely gone away from what we were looking at, we're going to circle back. 
Um, and it's the full quote is literally the only good Indian is a dead Indian. And this has been attributed to um, General Sheridan, but I guess both he and his brother both like denied him ever saying it. So I don't know what's true. I mean, it's believable when you know the history of what happened in this country. But I think that's interesting, though, because obviously that's not that's not the point Stephen Graham Jones is trying to make. No. But all of his characters are sort of questioning at some point, like, what does it mean to be a good Indian? Right. Right. And um, so that's a good way to kind of dive in, uh, I think, as like to start. So you have the four characters. Um, you have Ricky. You have Lewis. Um, you have... Gabe and you have Cass and they all are uh, Blackfeet Indians that grew up on this reservation Um, I think it's in Montana don't quote me on that Um, but they all grew up on this reservation and they have since then like moved most of them have well two of them moved away the other two still live there Um, and the book does start with like one of them kind of being killed very much right away. Yeah, which if we're going to talk about things that scared us. Yeah. I, I mean, this does start with a very short chapter. I mean, I don't know how to talk about it without spoiling some of it. Yeah. Well, I, light, we're lightly spoiling it. Yeah. So that's okay. I also feel like <coughs> it's the inciting incident. So maybe if you like Googled this, it would probably tell you this information anyway. Right. This would be like the cold open of a horror movie. Um. But yeah, so Ricky, it starts with Ricky, and this is close to the time that the original hunt happened. It's not 10 years later like the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. Um, But he has sort of very quickly left the reservation after sort of a tragedy in his family. And um, his goal was to get to Minneapolis. And along the way, he found like pretty quick work in a small town that he was passing through and he's like all right whatever like I'll take the money then I don't have to like scrounge for work when I first get to Minneapolis um these white guys like Indians to come work with them because they say like oh like you're good at working outside and you don't get cold which like gross but good for him for being like okay you want to exploit me I'll exploit you right back but he's like at a bar like a dive bar at night and it's without even explicitly saying so the tension between all of the drunk white guys right and like maybe two indians american indians right um is like palpable reading this very short chapter right and that scared the crap out of me right because this is like something that could happen in without any type of supernatural like elements or anything like that like this is this is hate crimes. These are things that you would expect to like see in America, unfortunately. Yeah. And especially, I mean, there is a whole side path. We don't need to get down with like missing and murdered indigenous women, but like it's, they, these people, these indigenous Americans, these native Americans, these American Indians are not only like systematically oppressed, but they are like, a huge number of them are victims of hate crimes and violence. So that felt very real. And 
like really freaked me out the first time I was reading it because the tension is so high and he's just sort of like running through a parking lot at night and it's cold out and he's like a little bit drunk. So that was the first thing that really got to me. Yes. Um, I would say in terms of things that, that scared me or really took me aback, that part I was like, like I said, like a cold open of a horror movie. I'm like, ah okay this is how we're getting started um (laughs) great i'm in for uh this is gonna make me feel not so good (laughs) i'm ready for to be spooked and disturbed um the thing that got me is not that one but the next kind of chunk of the book where it surrounds lewis um who Lewis also left the reservation and he is living with a he's married to a white woman named Peta and he works at the post office with another Native American woman named Shaney who's a crow uh, Native American and you know it gets like from Ricky's like kind of cold open of just being like the tension Lewis faces like a different type of tension of like he is still one of two like native americans in this very small like town um but he has a dog he's he re- kind of living a good he's life he's living a good life but he like very much still thinks about being kind of the only native american person and having a white woman as a wife and like what does that mean as like an, a native american and really reflecting because that point in the story it's like a year later from ricky's death so he's like reflecting on the thanksgiving uh classic and whatnot and when he does that he's like superstitious so the build up of like because as the reader you're kind of waiting for people to be picked off so the build up of him kind of expecting something bad to happen to him because he like foresees this and then like him kind of strategizing and creating this accident to because he he believes that you know Shaney is the the spirit of the elk he murdered having him set up this very graphic death for Shaney <laughs> um I remember reading it while I was on my lunch and I went oh whoa there's a lot happening and I remember coming back out and saying something to you and you're like oh you got to that scene that startled me I think that was the scariest part of the book for me because I for all the tension that was happening like like, that's not what I was expecting to happen and things for Lewis go from so very domesticated and happy like he lets he lets uh Shaney borrow like fantasy books and you know he's happily living and like with his wife and stuff like that and they have like good things going on and then all of a sudden he gets so paranoid and then he like causes this downfall and this death of this like of Shaney and then he reflects afterwards and he's like I don't know if I actually killed the elk spirit or if I just murdered somebody. And the horror of that was the most terrifying thing to me because that's, you know, in like horror movies, you think about like the final girl or something like that, where they like, like not saying you have to pitch this as a horror movie, but something to think about is, you know, you root for that hero 
and they like murder somebody at the end they never talk about like well yeah you were facing off michael myers you just killed michael myers but you also just killed a person and like what if that person was actually innocent and you didn't actually (laughs) defeat the evil spirit that you're fighting against what if that evil is living on that's yeah. terrifying to I me. I mean, not to go super deep, because I don't even know if this is like what Stephen Graham Jones was going for. This is just what I took from it. But to me, Lewis's whole section of this book read like sort of like an analogy for intergenerational trauma yes. and how like that paranoia, like you you can talk yourself out of it, but like the stories that you have been taught by your family for generations that they have been taught are so deeply ingrained in you that like when you're straddling two cultures like that, like, yeah, you know, he has this white wife. He works like a, a pretty like cushy job. In my opinion, he works for the postal service. Yes. Um, you know, he's got like these like buddies that kind of remind him of his friends back home, but they're all just like crusty old white dudes who work for the post office. And then all of a sudden this like, other person who's not even from like the same exact culture as right. you she just knows also what it means to be a native american right um starts working there and everyone starts lumping you together it's like microaggression after microaggression right and then uh, insinuating that he's going to cheat on his white wife with this like native right. american woman and and even he starts to like in his head is i mean there's times when like they're like playing basketball together at one point and he like is thinking about like when you box someone out with like your butt and that's like the best way to get the ball away from someone and then he's like thinking about Shaney's butt never mind baseball 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 like think of anything else because she's like an attractive woman so it's like now he's like doubting himself on natural things like everyone is attracted to people it's just whether or not you act on it that right. means anything but he's like so it's got it in his head that like, oh, well, they're like going to be together. Keep sitting them in the corner. Right. Oh, when's his white w- wife going to leave him? Right. She, she's not even going to let him hang his Indian stuff on the wall. And so like it to me, that's what it read as is like this whole deep seated paranoia that then keeps growing and the self doubt that keeps growing into this essentially like a almost like a mania. Right. It, it is like a main uh, that's this terrifying point because i'm like here's the thing if there's no supernatural elements to it like each of these deaths that we've just discussed could actually happen in real life yeah which is also i think probably what he was going for which is like well from the outside perspective based on stereotypes it's like oh well of course he went crazy and killed people he's an to use a really outdated horrible term he's off the reservation right you know implying that you know native americans are less than human when you take them out of their element and so i that's how i took it was it was it was about like you know these atrocities in the past and how whether you recognize it or not it's gonna affect you and it's gonna affect future generations so that was how I took Lewis's whole section. The one thing I liked about Lewis's section, though, was that he, like, sort of thinks in, like, headlines often. Like, he rephrases a situation to himself as a headline. And so, like, the the baseball, baseball, baseball one really got me. <laughs> um, 
yeah i think to me those are like the two kind of spookiest parts of the book i think after you read the stuff with shaney I, I after I read that I was mentally prepared for like kind of the rest of the story. It's sort of a slow build mm-hmm. from Ricky through Lewis and then it it kind of picks up the pace for the ending as we go through the other guys. But the part that scared me the most from Lewis's section was he's like at he's asleep one night and he hears something coming up the stairs and it's like not a normal footfall pattern like it doesn't actually sound like the way his wife walks up the stairs and to him it's like a clop and like a dragging sound yeah and so he starts to convince himself that it's like a deer coming up the stairs and like that that i think was the scariest part of his section for me because it's like i don't know i don't know if it's like why i can listen to murder stories and fall asleep but if i watch a ghost movie i have to sleep with the lights on and i have terrible nightmares it's like oh well like murder i can rationalize but like (laughs) paranormal spirits i can't (laughs) how am i I gonna like rationalize with a ghost like you know so i don't know that was the scariest part for me um the part with harley the malamute outside hits me the hardest he comes home at one point because harley has been like jumping the fence and he wants to show all of his friends because harley's like an older dog and he's like wow like what he just started doing this it's so weird right like an old dog learned a new trick that's dangerous because we live by train tracks and they get there and harley has like accidentally hung himself essentially off like a clothesline that he was tied to in the fence um, this isn't a spoiler. He lives through that. But uh, that part's really hard for me to read because my dog that I had, she was a Jack Russell Terrier, essentially did that to herself in my house while I was gone one oh day. God. And in the most Brita fashion, uh, I was at a local Oktoberfest. I ran a race in the morning and then got free entry to the Oktoberfest. And while I was at the Oktoberfest, I saw my ex and the girl that he cheated on me with (laughs) spilling some tea in the podcast (laughs) and so uh, he's never gonna find this i don't care we don't talk so i so i saw them and i was just like oh man i'm miserable i don't want to be here because i don't want to run into them i'm just leaving and i went home and thank god i did because when i went home my dog she was like older she lived to be 19 she was like methuselah old um but she was like still in pretty good spirits and like health until the end like she was mostly blind she was a little bit deaf but she would still go out and like run laps around the backyard so we're like all right she's fine but she because she couldn't see she walked into like the hanging strap of a tote bag that was hanging off of a kitchen chair and then couldn't get out and twisted it around her neck so tight that she couldn't move oh baby and then she was panicking so she was pulling on it but she's so small that it wouldn't pull the chair over so she was like hanging herself and i don't know how long she was like that before i got home but yeah, I like kind of lived through that, so I didn't love it. She was like still very active and like <laughs> when I got in the house, so God. it wasn't quite as traumatic as like when they find Harley, but it was still pretty awful. And she lived for like another two years after that, so she was okay, but <laughs> it was a close call. Whew. 
Oh yeah. So anyways, like I said, if you don't like dog trauma, this this one does have heavy dog trauma in it. So that might be a turnoff for for you. Moving on from that section, the format of the book is essentially three larger sections with individual titles for right. each chapter within. So there's the section about Ricky at the beginning. Then there's the house that ran red, which is Lewis's section. Then there is Sweat Lodge Massacre, which is Gabe and Cassidy's section. Right. And then the last section is It Came from the Res. Um, I will say with Gabe and Cassidy's section, Cass and Gabe are still friends, but Gabe kind of does not have his life together and Cass does. And Gabe is like still heavily drinks and I think Cassie only like sort of recently has his life together. Yeah, so that makes sense. It, it you know, he's like sort of at the beginning of a fresh start and Gabe hasn't quite made it to that point yet. With Cass, like he is trying to like essentially keep his life together. Um, and I guess what I appreciated about this is you did get more of a backstory of kind of uh the Thanksgiving classic and whatnot. Um, by this point and you get it with Lewis's chapter too because you have Lewis questioning like uh, part of the reason why they remember this Thanksgiving classic is you find out that they are like the four of them went hunting for elk which is a tradition that they normally do however they went hunting on elder land in the reserve and that was something that they're not allowed to do and then they they killed too many elk and they were not properly using the elk and they also got caught being on this land that they weren't supposed to be on so they have to discard all the meat that they had just trimmed up and stuff like that and then they did talk about giving the meat away but they don't know if the meat was actually ever ate by any of the elk like so it the first time I read this, I didn't catch it, but on this pass through, it does sort of explain what triggers all of this with that. I mean, so it is, it, I'm not going to say it's a common um, practice, but in a lot of indigenous culture and a lot of um, cultures that are very tied to like the earth and their animals and their connection to nature, while you hunt as part of your culture, it is it's like a cycle of life kind of thing. So you are respectful to the animals that you kill. You thank them for giving themselves up so that you can continue to live. And in a lot of cultures, they make sure to use like every part of that animal. Right. That is something I would say, especially environmentally looking at um, like the environmental stewardship aspect of it is like, it is very common in white culture. Like we have these giant tournaments and like fishing tournaments of like, what's the biggest fish you can catch? What's the biggest shark you can catch? Like we're killing all of these sharks that don't need to be killed because they're really endangered. And for bragging rights, we're like, we're not even eating the fish. We're literally like cutting it up and throwing it away. Um, Or you're, you're, getting it taxidermied and stuck on your wall or something like right. that. Right. And same thing with like hunting. Like you have white people that go and kill like bison and stuff like that and like go exotic animal hunting in like Africa for elephant and yeah, stuff like that. It's the difference between hunting for sustenance and trophy hunting. Yes. So this is a hunting for sustenance situation. And um there's a part where Lewis describes like 
sort of like handing out all of this meat from one particular elk to all of the elders. He's like, it was elder land anyway. So like the meat still went where it was supposed to go. So like, we're fine. Um, And then he speculates that like, well, it's been 10 years. I guess it's possible that like, you know, somebody could have had it like in the bottom of their freezer. They were so old that like, you know, they couldn't pry it out of like the freezer burn on the side of the freezer. And like maybe that last elder that had been around is like they died and then their kids were cleaning out the house and they cleaned out the freezer and like chucked that piece of meat or something. And then in like the later chapters, I think it's on page 168, um, Gabe is talking about being at his dad's house because I think he goes there to get a gun because he wants to like he doesn't have the cash to do this sweat so he wants to trade a gun for it instead he in this whole time has still been like hunting owl he's just like, Whatever, right you can't tell me shit i'm gonna do what i want um and he says like you know he's probably taken like twice as many elk as they popped that day but he says well enough that when he was standing when he was stashing some of the meat in his dad's freezer in the garage a few months ago it was that little one horn that had still been in velvet. He had to make room by cleaning all the old stuff frozen to the walls of that freezer. So, so like, essentially, I think Gabe had, like, some of that meat in his dad's freezer, didn't remember that that's what it was from, tossed it, and sort of set all of this in motion. Good job, Gabe. <laughs> um, so, yeah, back to kind of the back to like the sweat lodge so yeah we had um the latter half of the book is kind of set at the uh reservation because they're still living on reservation land and there is a small interlude with the uh you do get the perspective of the elk that is essentially taking revenge upon the four uh four characters um and I, that's really a tonal shift in the book. And I think there's a lot of people that like that c- type of tonal shift. And there's a lot of people that didn't. I I almost liked it better when I didn't have that perspective. Because it's like like in Scooby-Doo when you find out the monster's really like somebody else. Um, it's, it's scarier it's, when... It's always scarier when you don't know what the monster is. Yes. When you can't see it. Um, but again, this book's not really about it's not really about like them being killed. It's about kind of their lives and like looking back and stuff like that. Like it's not, the horror is not them being picked off one by one. It's kind of like dealing with the atrocities of um, what they deal with, like as native American people in modern America, like, as I said, Ricky's, the way Ricky was killed, he could have been killed like that in real life by white people. And, you know, and then people assume, Oh, what did, you know, what did he do to kind of get that happen to him? Um, they never assume, you know, that they don't dig very deep. They sort of just slap a, a surface level label on it based on stereotypes and prejudices. And, and that's it. Let's go home, pack it in boys. Right. So, you know, this is why this it's it's a really well reviewed book and this is why like I would tell people to read this because it's it fits on multiple levels yeah. and themes. It is tense. It does have some really horrific descriptions. And gore. It is very gory. Um it it is scary. I mean I there are several moments that I found 
very scary. But yeah, like there is a lot of like deeper, there's a lot of meat to this one. There's a lot of deeper elements here um, that I think work really well. They, you know, they kind of, during the whole sweat lodge thing, it is another one of those, those questioning, like, what does it mean? Like, are we, are we Indian enough? Are we like, yeah, we're doing this traditional right. thing, but we're kind of like modernizing it. They, and, and like, what, what does that they, mean? They kind of like half-ass it, right? Like they, when they build their sweat lodge, like it's made out of like old laundry and yeah, stuff it's like, like that. It's like blankets his dogs have been sleeping on, like so Cassie's like dogs have been sleeping on and like... At one point, he's like, "You did you wet these, right? So that, like, the embers don't go up. He's like, no, they would have smelled like wet dog. And he's like, wait a minute, does dog hair burn? So they're, they're like, kind of half-assing it, but they're doing it essentially to get cash from um, one of the reservation police. He wants his son to participate in this because the ritual of a sweat is kind of like a, a spiritual cleansing. Like, you go into this space, you go in naked, there's usually singing and drumming, um, there are hot stones that you pour water on to make essentially like a steam room, like a sauna and you sweat it out in there and they make a big point of telling this like teenager that like, it's not about who's toughest, you know, like you're not supposed to pass out, man. If you need to get like, if you feel like you can't breathe, get down on the ground. Cause the cold air is at the bottom. Like, don't be a tough guy, but like your dad's doing this cause he, he does not want you to end up like a stereotype and a statistic like you got to get your life together you're a teenager <laughs> right and his dad is like these guys used to be you and look how messed up their lives are like don't go down this road so they're essentially like agreeing to this sweat because they just want to get like a hundred bucks off of this guy right we also meet gabe's daughter who is described and gabe's daughter is uh he doesn't see her very often and she is a like very good basketball player and she's such a good basketball player that they're like this is how she's going to essentially get away from the reservation and to like make the most out of her life like she'll get a college scholarship on her basketball and her mom and stepdad who is the game warden are trying to kind of get her away from Gabe because he's not a good influence um yeah, he's, I mean, he, he's essentially getting money to gamble <laughs> so that he can like double what he's got. He, I think he, it's him, maybe it was Cassidy. One of them is like talking about how like, oh, well, if I had like an extra 40 bucks, like, you know, a couple weeks ago, that just would have went straight to beer. But like, no, I'm like investing it now in this other thing. I think, I think it is Gabe because I think he's like saying that he bet like money on, uh, is it Denora? Denora, yeah, yeah he's betting Denora's money on his daughter's basketball, bas- basketball game. <laughs> so, and there, there is like this really terrible stereotype that is like, there is a high instance of alcoholism in um, Native Americans, but that's not to say that like they are just meant to be alcoholics. It is because of situations that we white people have put them in. Right. Um. I mean reservation life is it's got its pros but it's also got a lot of cons and that is nothing of their doing it is it's us it's oppression is what it is yes so i don't like saying that like he's got alcohol problems but like he does because i don't want to right i don't want to say a stereotype but it is a stereotype that is how that character is so um 
Yeah, and like Cass, on the other hand, has been trying to save money for him and his new girlfriend. Right. He has he has ambitions to uh, get married, and um, anyways, and they have a whole thing essentially about like, well. She's more Indian than me. She's also Crow. Mm-hmm. And he's Blackfeet. And um, they talk about, like, well, we ride, you know, our horses on the land of our ancestors. So, like, we got to run our horses out tomorrow. And, like, we keep dogs and we live on the land in a trailer. And I, I got this sweat going now so we can, like, use it all the time. And, like, maybe the two of us can go in there together. But, like, not tonight because that's, like, not how it goes. Like, it's just men together doing the sweat. She's not invited. So there is that whole other cultural element with his story as well of like what it means to be, you know, his identity, his social identity, his cultural identity. So so things go off the rails at the sweat. Uh, and we because we now have the perspective of uh, the elk who does change from like an elk spirit to a woman. Um and I'm so when I was rereading this, um, one of the one of the like story the chapters that's told from the elk's perspective talks about being found like on the site of the road essentially after like an accident and a family taking her wrapped in a blanket like in the car. Right. And describes, like, this moody teenager in the back being like, what are you? Mm-hmm. And then um, that, am I right in saying that that's Nate and his and Victor who picked him up with the, his wife and, like, a baby or oh, something? I feel like, yes, I feel like Because I think, I think the elk says something along the lines of, like, it's not the same car that I came to the reservation in, but it's the same father and son. Yes. Okay. I yes. I, I think, think I missed correct. that on the first time as well. <laughs> so Nate and Victor. Victor is of course the teenager that's in the sweat. Nate is opposite. Victor's the Vic- dad. Victor's the dad. Nate's Nate the is kid. the yes. Um. So yes. Anyways, they have this sweat. It does not go well. Um. They walk out <laughs> of the sweat and they start getting picked off one by one. Um, more dog deaths more dog deaths uh there is gabe runs in to grab a i think that was the other thing about gabe with the meat is he fed it to dogs to get rid of it he didn't just throw it in the trash he gave it to the res dogs Gabe, you have you have one job buddy sorry that was like very back and forth but it just back into my brain um so yeah, it it goes off the rails very quickly. And this this part of the story goes pretty fast. So I would say if you're you may take multiple readings to go through it cuz you might miss stuff on the first try cuz you're just like wait, what is happening? Yeah, there's also that whole thing when we were talking about them like half-assing the sweat. Cassidy keeps going like man, we should have drum. I got some tapes. Should I go get the tape and play it? No, never mind. Don't worry about it. And then like Victor who's outside adding like the hot it's his job to stay even though his kids inside to add more hot rocks to the tent without them having to come out and leave it open and uh, he starts playing like a drum tape a drum circle tape from like his police truck and then it cuts out at one point while they're inside which was like 
I just think about when you go like camping or something and your friends are playing a boom box or mm-hmm. a CD player. Wow, I'm old. Um, <laughs> they're playing music from Spotify on their phones. And <laughs> it all of a sudden it cuts off and like you're you can't see like maybe you're in the tent and it's outside or something like that's a very scary moment and they're just waiting for the tape to pick up again right so uh good atmosphere good job Stephen graham jones (laughs) um so it does kind of going from there like there are gun obviously uh gabe brings a gun to this so there's um some shooting involved um and some miscommunication which that actually a couple of the deaths that occur in this happen because there's like miscommunication of they think that they're shooting at this elk spirit but they're actually shooting at like people they love and care about um and denora finally comes back uh to essentially she knows her dad's been betting on her she wins like the game <laughs> and she comes to collect because he was going to give her some of the money or she comes to give like the money yeah and um she kind of comes to this scene of violence and whatnot and then she one of the odder moments of this book and I I get why it happened but it's still an odd moment is she has a basketball game with the elk spirit I love it you love it I love it 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 feels odd juxtaposed to the rest of the what just happened so here's why I love it because during the sweat they talk about this like teenager doesn't he doesn't want to do this and so they're like telling him like no man like your dad's doing this for you and like you know like this is the stuff that becomes like the tales that like we tell around campfires like your dad is gonna do whatever it takes to keep you on the right track he's gonna keep putting every rock he finds and when he runs out he's gonna like call to a hawk to bring him some moss or some shit like that and like they're talking about this like you know like narrative tradition and it being passed down and like this is the stuff of that kind of folklore and narrative tradition it is like the devil went down to georgia and right is playing for your life right and so she she does not realize at first that she is playing against the elk spirit she realized she it takes her a few minutes to kind of realize it and yes this is like the biggest basketball game of her life because she's she is playing for her life for her survival um the one element that we did not discuss and is part of the reason why so the elk that is kind of taking vengeance upon uh these four native american men was pregnant um and that part thinking about it now as a mother as opposed to when i read it when i was not with child hits a little bit differently um and it's also i think i'm like yeah I get it. I too would be chasing after people if I were pregnant and uh you know you they they didn't just like disregard their with like all it, of the elk and not take care of the meat and whatnot, but they also tossed away the calf. Well, they didn't toss it away. They buried they it. They buried it, but it's still like it, it was discarded. But they normally if they weren't in such sort of like a frenzy during this hunt would not have shot a pregnant no elk nor would they have shot one so young like there's a whole thing about how she's like much too young to be pregnant and she probably wouldn't have carried her calf to term anyway 
but there's a lot of factors as to why like no one respectfully would have shot this elk right and so once they realize that like lewis is like horrified when he realizes this and so he he tries they have to try to kill this elk essentially three different times before she finally dies each is more horrific than the last and you're being told this not and it's not told in a straightforward kind of way because you get this stuff in kind of snippets and flashbacks and whatnot um and i would say as the reader you really do you do understand from her perspective there's a little bit of a good for you like because you're just like i yes if this is like the reason why you can understand uh the vengeance and stuff like that so yeah and i think it's also a little bit of like you know because that is tradition and that is you know their culture and the culture behind their sustenance hunting it is kind of like what happens when you try to break with tradition and you try to run away from who you are like it's it's in you and it's always going to find you and it's going to come back and you're always going to have some sort of like disjuncture in your social identity because that's how that's how you were raised so no matter how you try to leave it like that's part of you whether you want it to be or not right right and that to me that's not just that's culturally and universally across everywhere like there are certain traditions that and what better way to also what better way to kind of connect that back to the tradition of like thanksgiving um for white people like there are certain traditions that you do on thanksgiving that even after if you've moved away from your family and stuff you're still going to participate and do some sort of tradition to kind of carry that on because it's hard to break away from that and if you try (laughs) you end up feeling some sort of way i for other holidays yes i agree (laughs) i don't care about thanksgiving i'm sorry if that's your favorite holiday Sorry, I just hurt your feelings. Listen, Bob like from it. Bob's Burgers would be so disappointed. I don't like it. <laughs> We've talked a lot about what worked. Like, did you have anything that, that just blatantly didn't work for you? <laughs> um, no, nothing. Nothing that like blatantly didn't work. It. This was my very first Stephen Graham Jones book, so the. While like stream of consciousness might work for you, like it took me a while to get, it took me a really long time to get into the book and like to appreciate it. Um, I, it took me a long time to finish this book. I want to say over the course of like a month, like I did not fly through this book and it's not a very, it's not a very big book. Um, 300 ish pages. I since then have read other books by him and I think this is probably one of, the ones I liked more um but all of his books <laughs> all of his books like many other horror authors I appreciate that like he settles on an ending is it the happiest of ending no <laughs> and I <laughs> I just finished another one um it's an audiobook like exclusive called uh the babysitter lives at the end (laughs) or the babysitter lives and i'm like i was expecting this book to go a certain way and end a certain way and then there's a little twisty twist that just completely takes me for a loop uh unfortunately but it is it is a good book so there's nothing yeah i i would say if stream of consciousness style is not your thing 
give it a chance before you're like completely blowing it off. Um, it's also less stream of conscious. Night of the Mannequins is much more that stream of consciousness type of writing because it's told from pers- first person perspective. So this is not like that. So if you that puts you off, don't be afraid to read this one. Right. <laughs> um, and it has definitely less references to things than like My Heart is a Chainsaw, which is just his big, big, big love letter to like 70s and 80s giallo and slasher movies. Um, so if, you know, that's another one I would say you read that after this book. It is like the dumbest thing, but it made me so mad <laughs> is Gabe when he meets up with Denora. Uh, it's like from Denora's perspective and she's just kind of like, I think she's just shooting hoops by herself. And it's, it says, Hey, finals girl, an unhilarious male voice called out from behind her moments after a truck engines had been turned off. Finals girl. It's what her real dad calls her when she's on the court. Finals girl is entirely too close to final girl. <laughs> I get that it's finals like basketball, but I was like, there's no way that this was not what you were going for. And I'm annoyed. Did you catch that the first time through or through the second pass? The second. Okay. Cause I would say for first time, re- I didn't catch that that first time. Cause I was like, Oh, okay. It's also been a really long time since I read it the first time. So I might've just repressed it. Cause I got like irrationally angry about it. The other thing is not, it's not anything on Stephen Graham Jones or his writing. It is purely just the way my brain works. But when Gabe, um, originally like cut up the meat and packaged it like they wrap it in paper and they usually stamp it for like the cut of what it is right but he didn't have a stamps because he was not like in his element he was kind of rushing to do this so he had to borrow someone's little sister stamps and they were all animal stamps and the only one that wasn't like a butterfly or a kitten was a raccoon so all of the meat he's giving to people is stamped with a picture of a raccoon which all i could think of was always sunny (laughs) When Dee and Charlie <laughs> think that they ate human meat. Oh, God. Because they yes. ate it out of Frank's weird meat fridge. Yes. And he's like, that, what you have consumed, is human meat. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I just, I got I to gotta get a taste of it again. I just, is it racist if I only want to eat, like, a white guy? No, 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 because I don't like dark meat. I like white, I like light meat. And I'm like... <laughs> It's this whole thing. And he's like, that wasn't human meat. That was raccoon meat. It's probably riddled with parasites. You guys probably got like a tube worm or something. That's why you're so hungry. But like, that's all I could think of with this like raccoon stamped meat was the stupid other entirely unconnected storyline from something else because my brain is broken. Um, And then... The last thing I that like bothered that that's me. that's something that bothered you, but it's just a you thing. It's just me. It has nothing. Like, I mean, I'm just saying this because I know I'm not the only person who thinks like this. And it's like, my guy, why couldn't you get a Sharpie and just write something on it? Like, why did you have to stamp it? So I don't know. I mean, I get that it's a plot point of like, well, maybe they didn't eat it because they thought it was raccoon meat. Right. But. Also, like, I bought the whole storyline of old people not being able to scrape stuff out of their freezer. You could have just left it at that. <laughs> but then the other thing that bothered me is, like, on a similar note, is that Lewis's full name is Lewis A. Clark. Oh. 
That's a fair thing to be a little. And they're like, about. it's a joke. His parents made a joke with his name, and I'm like, that's not nice. Yikes! I mean, it's your story, and it's your people you're telling a story about. So I guess if it doesn't bother you, it's fine. But it bothered me. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hokey. And like they go through all of this about Cassidy constantly changing his name, but like Lewis has never once been like, mm, "How do I get away from Lewis and Clark?" Nope, never once was something on his radar. <laughs> and they like hint at it before you finally find it out. Like somebody's like, "Wait, that's your name? Like for real?" Aww. And then later, somebody calls him like Merriweather, and they're like, "Oh yeah, his name's Lewis A. Clark." so annoying (laughs) anyway um yeah i mean i think whether you have any knowledge of like the cultural history of native americans or you have zero knowledge and maybe like you've only ever seen disney's pocahontas which is sorry to spoil it for you not a great reference point um, no, I think that you can enjoy this as a horror fan. I think that maybe it would be a service to yourself to Google as your friend, look up some of the things that they reference. Like they talk about, um, like Lewis's graduation blanket, which in passing just sounds like a blanket you got for your graduation, but right. blanket ceremonies are like a huge thing in this culture. So, you know, you can, you can learn a lot. You can educate yourself. You can have your shooting star do, 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 do moment we have in addition to this every week here it's true <laughs> constantly learning that's who i am um i yeah i definitely i agree with all of that i it is a good it is a very solid horror novel to read and it it is set during kind of the late autumn so it does feel very autumnal um it's like right around thanksgiving it's right around thanksgiving it so it's like just perfect to read this time of year. Um, Stephen Graham Jones, this book really kind of took him to, I, I would say, kind of new heights as a horror author because he was only really writing short stories before that. And now he's kind of like, I would say, a household name in terms of the horror inside, authors. The inside of this book jacket calls him the Jordan Peele of horror literature. Oh, so I like that. That's kind of cool. Um, he has a book coming out next year. He does. Oh, Jordan Peele. No. No. Stephen, Stephen Graham Jones. Jones. Okay. Is it still it's part like of his... I, I was a teenage slasher. Oh, I think it's still part of the... Is it still part of his trilogy? It might be. Okay. Uh, he... I did like reading this that he... D- the idea for this began to develop when him and his wife were renting a home in Gun Barrel, Colorado, um, and that the genesis of the book may have been from an event of his childhood where his uncle stopped him from hunting a mother grizzly bear. He also noted that the novel was somewhat of his departure from normal writings, which, yes, that's, that feels right, a process that he's enjoyed, and the book came in three parts. And he found write, writing on the hunting was the biggest challenge as he can fake it on cars and fake it on people, but I have to get it right for the hunters. And this year, like 2023 has been the year of indigenous uh, native American, like horror books coming out, especially in the fall. So maybe we can midweek after this episode post, do a little roundup of book suggestions for everyone in case they want to read more. And then we can, 
maybe find some more info about uh, Stephen Graham Jones's book that's coming out next year and add it to that. So that's our homework, I guess. <laughs> All right. So uh, we just want to say thank you for coming on this journey with us. It now really does feel like it's been a journey. <laughs> um, we are still tweaking our book format and so we will let you know what you know what we're reading if you want to read along or if you have any suggestions of things you are going to be reading for uh the merry season or you know Britta's least favorite uh you know let us know i just wanted to do like a baby grinch like i hate christmas thing but or you can do what my tater tot did which is like my favorite video i've ever recorded uh no i'm like merry christmas he was nine months old at the time and he goes (laughs) (laughs) i remember this because i was like that guy and i are gonna be friends (laughs) um so yes i just want to say thank you again and i want to say thank you to stephen graham jones for just existing and being a awesome horror author and I'm glad that we get to discuss and share this book uh, with you guys, with our dear listeners. And we hope that you enjoy it as much as we did. And that, you know, tell your friends and stuff like that. And if you have anything you want to add that you're like, Beth and Britta, you didn't talk about this major plot point at all. Why didn't you say something? Or why didn't you talk about this, like, really gory instance? Um, You know let us know tell us in comments or message us or you know whatever floats your boat yeah i'm gonna say it's because we're full of some kind of leftover food because we're in that weird space of like oh no we've recorded in the past and we posted in the future thanksgiving happened already or did it i don't know (laughs) So yeah, uh, if you celebrate Thanksgiving, I hope you had a good day. Uh, if you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, I hope you had a good Thursday. Yeah, yeah. And Maybe you saw me fighting with my family at a restaurant in public. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Jury's still out. Uh, I'm just hoping for a very average holiday, uh, mostly because since 2018 i have had a lot of things happen with my family that we like that's all we're hoping for is just like are we sitting down to dinner everyone's eating nobody's hospitalized nobody is in, injured in any major way okay <laughs> good that's a success in our book um i just want to watch some giant balloons and like some dogs that's what i think i did on thanksgiving <laughs> very fair there's a bluey uh there is a bluey float this year what yeah excited about that (laughs) i definitely um put on an adult diaper and drove to new york and stole that balloon so yes this is the same person you saw on national television (laughs) who was a grown adult who tried to wrestle away the ropes from 30 balloon controllers on a street in manhattan you know about like please send me bail money you know there's like i don't know i didn't know about this i don't remember it but i think it's a barney balloon from the parade uh got away and it's like 
people are holding it and they're like flying up and it, i think it was like in the late 90s i want to say 96 97 and i watched a video of it and i was like this is amazing i just remember the episode of friends where they find out that underdog got away and they all run out of the apartment to go watch it and um i think it's like monica yells like got the keys and rachel thinks that she means like I've got the keys. So they lock themselves out while all the food's cooking and like the apartment catches on fire. So I'm like Chandler who does not like Thanksgiving. But that's like me from November 1st until like March 17th for every holiday that happens. That's fair. So yeah. Anyways, we hope that you guys have a good beginning of a new holiday season. And, uh, yeah, you can catch us on uh, all where you can listen to podcasts because now we're available. We're also on Facebook now if you're a fellow old. <laughs> At the Lake Erie Library. I think it's Lake Erie Library Pod. Stop it. It wouldn't <laughs> let me do Lake Erie Library when I set it up. Um, if you search Lake Erie Library, it'll come up. It's the same logo. You'll find it. I believe in you. You can do big things. Um, but they made me change the actual like username so uh, one of these days i will get all of our socials and everything straight but today is not that day anyways guys uh we hope that you've enjoyed it and as always stay spooky friends ding, 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 ding.